You are now listening to What the Hell, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and it's been a minute. It's been a while. I can't remember the last time I recorded a podcast. Must have been months ago now. School's ticking away. I'm in my final semester as an undergrad student. Four years has flown by, though, literally. I think um, we can also thank COVID for that because two years are just lost and half my degree was spent online. But hey-ho, here we are. I'm writing my honors thesis right now. That's going really well. I've done all my interviews. I've basically, I've basically written my thesis and it's not due for another couple months, but that's just me. Um, and life is really good. I will say... Life is better not being on social media. My hypothesis that I am a better person when I'm not on social media, uh, I feel has been validated by my own experiences and my own subjectivity, uh, which makes it true, right? But I definitely feel better I'm still continuing to not be on social media. Um, I'm more productive and just not interested. Just not interested in in the gram anymore. Um, So unless, you know, something drastically changes in my life, I will not be going back on Instagram. So you will have to listen to me on here. But in terms of social media that I have missed is my podcasts and recording with guests. I have definitely missed that. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting some more guests on once I'm finished this semester. When I'm in school, it's just my head has to be in school. So that's why it's been a little bit since I've recorded, but I have a little bit of downtime. So I thought, why not come on and talk about something super interesting. And why not talk about something that's related to health, but potentially not talked about enough because it's complex and it's messy like most, you know, psychological or health phenomena are. And there's no one clear answer. But I wanted to talk about forgiveness and how forgiveness relates to our health or has ability to help or hinder our health, depending on what research you've read. And I bring the topic of forgiveness up, not only because, you know, we discuss it in classes, but because it's been such a crucial part to my own healing But I think before we dive into how forgiveness affects our health, we need to better define it. And you would think that forgiveness is kind of this very straightforward concept, and yet it really isn't. In fact, when you look at literature surrounding forgiveness, 
there are varying definitions and there's not one consensus that people agree upon in what defines forgiveness. You can have interpersonal forgiveness, which is the forgiveness that happens between two people. You can have intrapsychic forgiveness, which is forgiveness that happens on the inside of you. It's a process that happens on the inside of you without necessarily conveying it to another person. Which kind of begs the question, is forgiveness always an interpersonal process? Does it always happen between two people? Or could it happen just within yourself without the other person being involved? And I would say yes, because if someone is no longer around, you know, someone has offended you or transgressed against you and say they're not anywhere within your proximity, maybe you don't know them. Um, maybe you don't ever have the opportunity of seeing them again, maybe they've died, are you unable to forgive because forgiveness depends on this interpersonal process? Well, I would say no, because then you'd be kind of shackled by that unforgiveness for the rest of your life. So it's not always between two people. It can be something that happens within yourself. And that's really important to understand about forgiveness. You know, the definition becomes even more complex when we realize that forgiveness involves different systems. It involves an effective system or an emotional system, a cognitive system, and a behavioral system. So when someone forgives, there are certain elements that are subtracted from each of these systems such as negative emotions like anger, hatred, or resentment, contempt, are given up. This may occur slowly, but will eventually be accomplished. In the cognitive system, one would cease to condemn their judgments and plan revenge on the offending party. In the behavioral system, you would no longer act out revenge. So there's different things that happen. There's different, there's different elements that are subtracted from each of those systems when we're looking at forgiveness and how to define forgiveness because we're often told to forgive, but what happens when we forgive? How do, how do we feel? Do we feel anything? And how do we go about forgiving? Like, what's, what's some practical advice here? When someone forgives, just like certain elements are subtracted from each of those systems, there's also elements that are added. So in the affective or the emotional system, the negative emotions are replaced by more neutral emotions. And eventually, possibly, by positive emotions such as compassion. Positive thoughts emerge towards the other such as wishing them well and viewing them as respectfully or morally equal. In the behavioral system there's more of a willingness to join in loving community with one another perhaps you know making overtures in that direction and such overtures will depend on true change from the other person. So there is a condition. So depending on 
what aspect of forgiveness you're looking at, it can look differently. To further define forgiveness, forgiveness can be defined as a freely made choice to give up revenge, resentment, or harsh judgments towards a person who caused you hurt and to strive to respond with generosity, compassion, and kindness towards that person. It is a process. It involves reducing negative responses and increasing those positive responses towards the person who caused you hurt across all three of those realms, so the affective, the cognitive, and the behavioral realm. However, I think it's important to note what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And I know that there's a very popular saying, forgive and forget. And that was uh, definitely something that I heard growing up a lot. Forgive and forget. That is not what forgiveness is. You might be able to move on or to accept, but you do not have to forget in order to forgive. A deep injury is rarely wiped from our consciousness and it doesn't have to be. And so if you're struggling to forgive because you think that you should no longer ever think about it anymore, that's simply not true. And just because you think about something doesn't necessarily mean you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is also not reconciliation or the coming together again. Forgiveness is one person's response, while reconciliation is the coming together by two people. So you could forgive someone by not seeking retaliation, but not reconcile until that person changes the behavior, which means you can forgive and not have a relationship with the offending person. Reconciliation and forgiveness are often conflated. And when we feel pressure to have a relationship with someone that we don't feel safe with, because forgiveness is also not trusting the other person, but we feel that social pressure, uh, religious pressure, moral obligation, family pressure, whatever it is, then it's really difficult to actually walk in forgiveness because it's being conflated with reconciliation. So just know that you can forgive someone but not have reconciliation. And that reconciliation is maintaining or repairing the relationship. You do not have to have relational repair in order to forgive someone. Forgiveness includes a willingness to reconcile or a waiting in the hope that the other changes. Reconciliation may be a result of forgiveness. However, forgiveness is not dependent on reconciliation, but could include a willingness to reconcile should the other person change their ways. Forgiveness is also not condoning the other's act by saying, oh, well, couldn't help it. He does it all the time. I'll just excuse it. Forgiveness takes place in the context of a serious injustice that is recognized as serious. Forgiveness is also not part
pardoning or letting the other person off the hook. Forgiveness is also not an indifference by saying that, you know, the act that the other person did to offend you or hurt you wasn't important. A deep injury is important to recognize as such. And forgiveness is not simply the diminishing of angry feelings across time. Forgiveness is active, it takes energy, it's a process, and it can be a struggle to release the other while you still feel angry. And that is a really important point to make because if you've grown up in a religious household and anger has not been something that you've been encouraged to express. In fact, you maybe you grew up in a household where you were not allowed to express anger because that signified that you were being unforgiving. Expressing anger is one of the ways that we are able to heal, especially when we're healing from things like trauma, like big trauma, um, abuse or betrayal, or mistrust, or, you know, these really deep injuries that really wound us. And that anger is an important part of healing. And if you're not allowed to express it, or you believe that you haven't forgiven because there's still the presence of anger, that's not necessarily true and unhelpful in your healing journey. Okay, so now that we've given maybe somewhat of a better definition of what forgiveness is, but more importantly, what it isn't, how does it relate to our health? One of the areas that comes to mind most for me is managing chronic illness. We have current medical research that is presenting more and more of an understanding of chronic diseases in adults. And this is where we can look to something like the ACEs study, which is adverse childhood experiences. These adverse experiences that happen in early life result in shortened lifespans due to chronic illnesses, mental health challenges, and social dysfunction. Research has consistently detailed relationships between these early adverse experiences and later health outcomes. The exact mechanisms that connect these experiences of adversity and specific health comes are still being investigated, but research has suggested two different hypotheses. So first, it suggests that adversity is a stressor that accumulates over time, and the body's resulting biological burden then becomes toxic. So that's the first one. The second hypothesis is that when adversity occurs at a particularly sensitive developmental period, including before birth, it becomes incorporated into the person's brain and physiology. So the chronic stress hypothesis is supported with several findings. Those people who live with things like depression and a history of maltreatment have been shown to have an upregulation of their inflammatory response, meaning they have more inflammation compared to those with no history of maltreatment. Another study showed that stress management systems, so like your hormones, heart rate, blood pressure, that are controlled by our brains are dysregulated 
and those who have a history of adversity compared to adults who did not grow up with with these adverse experiences. These studies suggest that chronic exposure in childhood to adversity with its heightened stress results in physiological weathering. So these changes are said to be biologically exhausting and have been shown to result in shortened lifespans. So the second explanation for that impact of early adversity on health is that the difficult events associated with the adversity occurred at those really developmentally sensitive times and then became imprinted in the person's brain and biology. The data supporting this hypothesis is primarily from studies that describe how early deficiencies or maltreatment result in changed immune reactivity in adulthood. And these immunological changes are known to impact the development of things like heart disease, diabetes, asthma, and chronic lung disease. We also have neuroimaging that has been used to document the relationships between chronic stress from adversity with diabetes, major depression, blood pressure responses, and PTSD. And what these studies have revealed is that changes in both brain activity due to the stress and in brain anatomy assume to be the result of chronic stress. And when looking at forgiveness from a health standpoint and how it affects our health, we can also look at two different types of forgiveness. We have decisional forgiveness, which is the experience of granting forgiveness without necessarily eliminating the negative emotions. So in these settings, some resentment may continue. Then we have emotional forgiveness, which is forgiveness that includes the changes in emotion and motivation towards whoever offended you. Emotional forgiveness is said to overcome unforgiveness, which in turn could offer the opportunity for healing. Accomplishing emotional forgiveness transforms the person from a victim who is still controlled by the offender into an independent participant in life, more so than the choice to forgive. So the effective component happening or being emphasized in this interpretation of forgiveness. So the psychological benefits of forgiveness include letting go of the continuing unforgiveness and embracing more of an alternate positive orientation to life where the person who offended you no longer controls your responses to the world. And to date, there has been evidence that has documented the impact of forgiveness on body and health in several ways, including our hormone patterns, peripheral physiologic measures, and brain function all revealed in images and scans. Findings about the body's hormone response to unforgiveness reveal that unforgiveness is reflected in specific cortisol levels, adrenaline production, and cytokine balance with patterns that parallel those reported in people living with high stress. These hormone patterns are known to compromise the immune system, with the long-term consequence of leading to several identified chronic illnesses. So the more unforgiving we are, 
the more our immune system is impacted or could potentially be impacted, which could lead to chronic illness down the road or worsen chronic illness symptoms. Forgiveness has also been documented to impact the structure and function of our brains. So specific areas of the brain are active with forgivability judgments, which in turn is reflected in the body's response to its environment. The portion of the brain that's particularly involved in forgivability is the left frontal cortex. What these studies show us is that they may hold keys to understanding the relationship between forgiveness and the brain's biochemical vulnerability to adversity. So what does all of these big fancy words and phrases mean? Forgiveness, or a lack thereof, can keep our body in a place of chronic stress, which not only affects the way our body functions, but it affects the structure and the function of our brain. It affects all of these systems that can either help or hinder our health. And if they're hindering our health, it could lead to chronic illness down the road. And this is notable coming back to the ACEs study, those adverse childhood experiences. We know that those who experience adversity in early childhood have a greater risk, a much greater risk of developing chronic illnesses down the road. Why? Because of all of these different things that are happening in our body that have to do with stress. They have to do with our nervous system and how we're able to cope with that stress. Forgiveness then could be one way of diminishing some of that stress and letting it go because the more we sit in unforgiveness and resentment and hatred and anger, the more we allow our body to sit in that chronic state of stress. And so when we look at forgiveness, it's very important to properly define it, understand what it is, and understand what it isn't, because your health just might depend on it. And if you have a toxic view of forgiveness because someone told you you have to forget or you have to move on or you need to change the way you feel, it might not necessarily be true. So to reiterate what forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not reconciling. Forgiveness is not condoning the other's act. It's not pardoning or letting the other person off the hook. It's not showing indifference. And it's not simply the diminishing of angry feelings across time. Forgiveness is an active process that takes time. And so if you are wondering how to forgive, it's important to understand what forgiveness isn't. Because you can make a conscious choice to forgive, but your emotions may or may not follow. It doesn't necessarily mean you haven't forgiven. But hopefully, your emotions will follow. Does that mean you have to have a relationship with the other person? No, it doesn't. Sometimes it's better and sometimes it's necessary to not have a relationship or trust the individual again. It doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. And if you have social pressures to behave in a certain way because your family or friends or 
whatever group you're a part of believes forgiveness needs to look a certain way, like forgetting or condoning, then that's something you need to address with the people that are close to you and to understand, help them understand what forgiveness is from your perspective to be blunt, to be open, and to be very candid about your process of forgiving and what forgiveness means to you. So that is it for today. I hope it gave you a little bit of food for thought about how forgiveness or unforgiveness may be impacting your own health journey and what some of the steps you need to take are in order to initiate forgiveness or to understand it better so you can truly walk in freedom. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave me a review as your reviews get this message of better health out there. You can also follow me on Instagram at Lena Jade's Healthy Life, where I post fitness, nutrition, and psychology content. All right, you guys, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as you go throughout your day, always remember, you are powerful over your health.